Hello, and welcome to the FieldLink Podcast, presented by Helena. I'm your host, Bill Smith. We have a great episode lined up for you with exclusive market insight from our special guest. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Jody Lawrence from the Strategic Trading Advisors in Nashville, Tennessee. We'll discuss three key profit pointers for the 22 growing season. In addition, we're going to deep dive into the economics behind what is driving the soybean crush sites that are being built across the United States, and we'll better understand how that may impact soybean producers in the future. As a side note, this podcast was recorded prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the FieldLink podcast series. Really excited to have you all here joining us today. You know, as the uh, weather's starting to change across much of the United States, some growers down in the south are are really sharpening up those planters. And uh, while many other growers across the Midwest are really doing that last minute uh, decision making as it relates to what am I going to plant and how many acres am I going to plant this year? And uh, to help help us navigate some of these, you know, production decisions, understanding a little bit more about the markets and what's going to happen is uh, Jody Lawrence from the Strategic Trading Advisors out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Jody, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you, Bill. Good to be good to be on the inaugural podcast uh, for the markets. Well, we're really excited to have you here today, Jody. You know, you're certainly no stranger to a lot of the Helena customers across the United States. Before we start diving into the top three profit pointers for 2022, why don't we take just a moment a little bit and tell us a little bit about Jody Lawrence and your business? Okay. Well, I've been in the business since uh, 1990. Uh, came out of it with an accounting background. My mom was a farm girl from Ohio, and even though I grew up in Memphis, uh, never worked on the farm when I was growing up, but always went and saw my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and was always amazed uh, with the farm, just like any kid would be the animals and the, you know, the openness and just what, especially growing up, even in a, you know, a Southern city, uh, it, not like I grew up in Manhattan, but when you look at the, uh, just all the stuff that goes on on the farm and the big machinery and and obviously uh, was close and loved my uh, all my family and just found that the farming culture and the people in it and my grandparents and uh, aunts and uncles' friends were just salt of the earth people. So I was always drawn to it. And then once uh, I figured out that accounting and uh, being decent with numbers was a good way for me to make my make my uh, ends meet. Once I got into the career, started helping my brother-in-law uh, to to balance his uh, books and help him with his on-farm uh, information and following the markets. And because just like most farmers that uh, I've always dealt with, they're great farmers, all all really smart people, and certainly it's not the markets are above uh, anybody's. Uh, level of intellect, but it is, and it's, uh, there's a lot of study to it, and there's a lot of experience that goes into it. It can, be, it can be incredibly intimidating. And when you get intimidated, you usually stop doing what you're doing if it's on the marketing thing. And that has become uh, where I've tried to step in to, to, for Helena and for all the other customers to make sure that we've got 
solid information that's easy to understand to make a decision without having to worry uh, that, oh, you know, is the sky going to fall? Is it going to go through the roof? What's going to happen? Just trying to take a lot of the mystery and some and some of the anxiety out of making those decisions. And with that background uh, came out of the brokerage industry when I worked for J.C. Bradford in Nashville when we had the opportunity to move to Nashville in 1996 that began writing the newsletter that uh, it, most everybody uh, uh, sees uh, and is, has attached me to through Helena. I uh, started writing that, uh, gosh, hard to believe, 26 years ago, I guess now. And uh, it's grown and through internet and smartphones. I've uh, been very fortunate with my relationship with Helena that we have over uh, 6,000 uh, Helena customers wholesale retail uh, Helena team members uh, on the newsletter that we send out every day. The markets are open and certainly uh, lately we've had, had, haven't struggled for content to write. So it's been, uh, been a great, uh, been a great way to stay involved in the ag, uh, in the ag business uh, and something that I uh, have really enjoyed. Well, it certainly has been quite a journey. I, Jody, you and I have been working together for a little over 15 years, and uh, that daily newsletter certainly keeps uh, keeps me in tune with uh, what's going on in the marketplace. Uh, so we certainly appreciate that, and you're certainly helping a lot of growers out across the nation. You know, as we take a look at uh, the 22 crop, uh, there certainly is a lot of content, a lot of things happening. You mentioned that in your opening there. And uh you know, just coming off, uh, I had the opportunity to go to uh, the Top Producer Summit in Nashville here recently uh, uh, with some of the nation's top producers around the country. And uh, boy, Jody, a lot of chatter uh, about the markets, obviously, uh, things along supply chain, you know, that's on top of everybody's mind, uh, along with politics. Uh, Gosh, a lot of things are certainly happening uh, across the nation. What are some of the top things that you're hearing out there as you're looking at uh, the market as we take a broad scope at 22? Well, 22 has just set up uh, as one of the most interesting years we'll ever have because you you really have this kind of counterintuitive paradox of where we are with price coming out of the 2021 crop because how often do you get to say uh, that, yes, you just produced the largest bean crop ever and the second largest corn crop just under uh, the record, and yet we are still sitting at the highest prices in 11 years, uh, 10, 11 years. And when you look at a uh, level of profitability, tw 2021 was uh, probably on, a, on the margin the most profitable year on farm for almost every producer who, uh, you know, who's doing a good job and got yields. So uh, that is really the biggest question people are scratching their heads that we produce the second largest corn crop ever. And yet the U.S. balance sheet decreased by 100 million bushels. So what does that mean going into 2022? Uh, to me, it means that last year you pitched a complete game, uh, uh, you know, one hitter uh, and, but now the market is demanding that you uh, 
pitch one of those or a perfect game every uh, every time out now because the world demand coming out of COVID has uh, continues to expand as the world population expands. That you're you're just in a dynamic that we have not seen, and uh, I can't remember seeing anything like this in the you know the 32 years I've been in the business. Yeah, it's it's uh, kind of crazy, you know, just. Uh we take a look at our production yields last year, things were really good across the country. I mean, certainly there were some spots where things weren't, uh, you know, didn't have record yields, but by and large, we had really good yields across the country. We had an amazing fall, quite frankly, to get fertilizer down. We're really set up pretty good from a production standpoint as we look at 22 in a lot of regards. But there are certainly some challenges. You know, we certainly heard a lot, a lot of chatter. You can't turn on uh, any of the media and hear uh, the word supply chain challenges. And there's certainly plenty of them out there. But uh, what are some of your customers telling you about as it relates to supply chain challenges that they're faced with looking into 2020? Well, going uh, to the the retail wholesale side, the people trying to uh, get it, uh, and get it on farm for all the farmers. The biggest challenge is just simply product availability. And you go back through everything. Uh, some of it, uh, uh, a good chunk of it probably, comes down to COVID because when you started having no one wanting to show up to work in some of the major production areas for the nitrogen products, you know, urea, potash, you go through the list, that uh, the supply started to dwindle. Uh, in the available marketplace. And then because of all the shipping logistics that uh, uh, those barges are full of Amazon packages coming from all over the world to my doorstep uh, and and your doorstep, that the freight rates have gone up so incredibly that a lack of, and the lack of product, we've run into the perfect storm of incredibly high costs uh, on all of the input side and oddly seed uh, from everybody I've spoken to is actually going to go down a little this year, which at six, uh, well, December corn, I'm looking at it right now, is uh, just testing $6 again uh, th- today. Uh, I can't remember a time when we had high-priced cor- or high-priced cash corn and seed was went down. But that's just kind of an interesting situation that we're in. But farmers are certainly concerned uh, that even with uh, $6 December futures, that when you escalate the cost of your inputs by 30, 40, 50 percent, next thing you know, you're going to be on a good productive irrigated uh, acre. We did some math for uh, my friends in eastern Nebraska, that you're going to, they're going to be all in at $1,100 an acre. And that uh, just really is an eye opener about uh, that the cover charge to farm this year uh, has, has just gone through the roof. And you have to take some fairly dramatic steps, whether it's through your uh, revenue based insurance whether it is being very meticulous about getting your product and getting it on and being an even better steward of the land this year, uh, because the margins, when you start talking about risking that type of money uh, to put in a crop where, it, and right now the margins certainly are still good. You can, uh, most farmers we've talked to are somewhere between uh, uh, 
making net a uh, hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars an acre on corn, but they're used to getting a 30, 40 percent return when prices and yield are good, not a 10 percent return. And certainly that will play in the banking industry for people uh, trying to secure lines of credit as, as we move forward. And then you just go with straight uh, product availability that uh, is that. Uh, is that shuttle of, uh, of nitrogen or apply uh, liquid going to be there on time when you need it after you've planted? And uh, through no fault of anybody that I know uh, in the industry, uh, it's, it's a world problem that everybody's dealing with. Yeah, it certainly is, a, you know, some global challenges on supplies. And, and I think you're right. Uh, we, it's really going to be very important for growers to, you know, have a plan A and a plan B and gosh, maybe even this year, a, a plan C on, on, Hey, what about this? Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are simply out of uh, our, our retail chains uh, control. Uh, but you know, the, important thing is to have a good relationship with your sales rep to uh, ensure that, uh, you know, you're in the loop, you're getting the best information you can on time and be prepared to uh, pivot if needed. Um, you know, Jody, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, some of the corn, corn opportunities there, but uh, boy, you know, a lot of chatter recently around soybeans. Um, you know, as we step back and take a look at some of the soybean uh, productions, you know, there's a lot of noise made around soybean fuels options there with the, you know, the announcements of a lot of airlines, United Airlines and others uh, wanting to jump in this game from uh, an environmental uh, impact standpoint. Uh, you know, I, some some of the interesting facts that uh, were shared here recently, um, you know, lots of production dollars going to be going into new crush plants across the entire United States. You know, right now, some of the statistics are showing with the current uh, plants that are either in construction or being planned that will hit the market by 2025, uh, we could look at an additional 400 million bushels of domestic soybean demand. Uh, that's a big number. And, and and those plants that are being placed, I mean, they're from north to south, Jody. Uh, I mean, we're looking at uh, plants up in uh, Spiritwood, North Dakota, Crookston, Minnesota, Castleton, North Dakota, Sergeant Bluff, Iowa, Norfolk, Nebraska, David City, Nebraska, Montgomery, Kansas, Alta, Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Carroll, Illinois, Somerset, Kentucky, and Desham, Louisiana. So uh, this is not just a Midwest play. It's playing up and down the river in the Midwest uh, and the Deep South uh, as well. Um, couple that a little bit with some of the challenges that we're seeing in uh, South America right now, some of the production there. This soybean thing's got some serious energy behind it. What's your take uh, from, a, from a financial perspective as we look at 22? Well, the bean market is uh, really the driver in this because to the numbers that you just gave, uh, I think the easiest way to break those down to give everybody a real clear comparison, you were talking about 400 uh, million extra bushels of uh, bean demand that will be coming online here in the not too distant future if it isn't online already. Think about that. That's an extra 8 million acres at 50 bushels an acre. Okay, so let's just take, uh, there's 8 million more acres of beans that we're going to need. Now you couple that 
with the South, with Brazil in particular, but also Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay, they've lost nearly a billion bushels of uh, beans, and or it, you know just just to take it down to what we were told in the last reports, take it down to uh, 650 million bushels. But you're looking at just that. The U.S. would have to plant an additional 13 million acres simply to make up for what has been lost in South America to this point. So if you total, if you add those two together, the next thing you know, uh, the world may be asking the United States and Brazil uh, in a combination because we're really the, you know, the largest producers of. Uh, even though Brazil is about 50% ahead of us right now. But by the time you total all that up, the U.S. and Brazil have to figure out a way to plant nearly 20 million more acres of beans or get that production from either increased fertilization rates and higher yields or rally prices to a point where we start to ration the supply that right now is getting uh, dangerously tight when you look at uh, everything that beans are used for, because by the time you take the bean and you crush it, you've got bean meal and you have red hot livestock markets right now in between cattle and hogs at contract highs. Certainly when people are trying through this inflation play, uh, have tried to mind their budgets a little bit better. The chicken has always been uh, a more cost friendly way to feed your family, but the chicken industry is also growing. And when you look at just the demand for the feed side of it there, then you take the bean oil on just the things that we talked about. Uh, it, it You end up with the dynamic that the bean market, uh, th there's a lot of chatter. And I'm not one to just jump out on the end of a limb uh, to try to cause myself trouble. But uh, a lot of the really smart people that I trust in the industry uh, are giving it better than a 50-50 shot that we take out the 2008 or the 2012 highs. And with the potential that uh, we could be in this position with beans for years and years to come if all of that demand comes online for bean oil. Yeah, that uh, you know you kind of scratch your head. It's it's exciting on one hand, but you have to ask yourself, where are these acres going to come from? Uh, you know, as that demand continues to climb, and you know, with all of these crush plants coming on, that means we're going to have a lot of uh, byproducts, obviously, and obviously uh, some pretty good opportunities for some feeders. Uh, you know, from a livestock standpoint, but boy, that's a lot of soybeans. Uh, Looking forward. Um, any idea where some of those acres might come from? Who, who could win and lose out of this uh, potential uh, growth? Well, let's go back to the easiest thing to talk about there on beans is the much lower cost uh, input cost of production. And when you, uh, in general, we can work with, and in a lot of places, this is on the high end of $500 an acre to put in beans that have potential of 55 plus yield and, and beans certainly uh, through, uh, you know, all of the genetics and the technology and the products that are available, uh, you know, through HPG. For example, Helena Products Group, to what is available now, you've got a lot of people growing. Uh, they roll out of bed and they're disappointed if their bean yields under 70. So you get to a spot where a $500 input cost 
to grow 55, 60 bushel beans looks much more palatable on a risk or reward basis than it does for corn. So you have to think that corn, even though uh, December corn at six bucks is certainly trying to buy acres, you've got to think two or three million acres easily come out of uh, out of out of corn into beans. But as you look through the rest of the world and the rest of the prices, you've got December cotton at the highest level that it's been uh, in in a not a little bit less than a decade, but you've got uh, December cotton uh, trading at a at a dollar ten, and you've got old crop above a dollar twenty. That the Cotton Council came out earlier this week and said they expect cotton to pick up eight hundred thousand to a million acres, simply because uh, that has become uh, extremely profitable for all the uh, cotton growers. And you're talking about a wide area that. Now, with the better improved genetics and heat tolerance for corn all through the Delta, Texas, uh, you know, Texas to South Carolina, basically, that you uh, are in a major battle in between cotton, bean and corn trying to do it. And you're not even talking about some of the, the, the less talked about crops, which are rice, which is at a, a, a really in good shape on price. And you look at some of the smaller ones because Canada got smoked by the drought this year. Oats are coming back into play in a lot of the, uh, you know, the more northern uh, plain states. So uh, it, it, there just isn't enough acreage that in the United States, now that South America's getting towards the tail end of their growing season out, uh, other than Safrin the Safrina crop, uh, we, the U.S. can't just snap a finger and add 10 to 12 million acres to spread out to help solve these problems. The U.S. agriculture between corn and beans uh, and, and we'll throw in cotton is is pretty tight above how much you can expand above 195, 196 million acres. And you can't just wholesale go, well, let's go up to 210 million this year to solve this problem. Uh, you know, the uh, the guys at CRP, anybody at the USDA or in, in Washington, uh, just uh, we don't have that power and that flexibility in, for expansion that Brazil and some of the uh, South American countries do. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when you go out there, that's, that's why I think a lot of growers are scratching their heads a little bit right now because – Everything looks pretty good. Uh, things look good. I think uh, talking to several growers last week uh, from Louisiana uh, and as well as Arkansas, they're like, we're probably going to be making some decisions. Uh, you know, we're going to have a base, you know, kind of decided here pretty quickly. But, boy, there might be some game day decisions based on what acres go which way, uh, whether it's corn, soybeans, or, or even cotton. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, talking to several growers throughout the Midwest, they're they're pretty well set. If you're a corn guy, you really don't want to change that rotation too bad. But uh, boy, at some of these prices and some of these production uh, uh, input challenges, um, there might be some of those acres transitioning. So, Well, you look at it on the beans. I've gotten multiple calls over the last two weeks because uh, the ADMs of the world are getting very aggressive. $14 new crop beans this point of the season when you start talking about let's go to the you know the uh, sixty bushel yield, that's uh you know that's eight hundred and forty dollars gross. And even if they throw the kitchen sink at it and put in six hundred dollars, they can today 
on beans guaranteed themselves 150 to 250 dollars an acre profit and they uh, like you said they may love uh and have a lifelong love affair with planting corn but uh when your wife says we're taking, you're planting beans because we're making $250 an acre, that's what they're going to, you know, there are going to be a lot of acres. And I think you've got potentially three to 5 million acres that are going to be, like you said, that game time decision, because the game time decision may simply come down to, do they have enough uh, in product anywhere on the corn acre uh, that's going to be there? Because I'm not going to put in uh $1,100 input cost and just put basic fertilizing rates down on it because I'd, I'm swinging for the fences. If I'm, if I'm going to spend this money, I'm going to keep spending it to make sure I get my yield. Because if you spend a thousand dollars an acre and, and do a, a poor job just simply because of availability on getting it fertilized, then you're creating a, your own, you're creating your own problem that a lot of farmers I know want to stay away from. Yeah, that's a really great point. You know, I think farmers are in it to win it uh, this year, you know, with these kind of prices, and you really need to approach uh, the marketplace like that. And, you know, talking to some growers, uh, specifically around soybeans, yeah, they love plant corn. But, you know, the soybean you know, the, the process is much different than it was before. You know, the technology's advanced, different headers on combines. And look at all the research and development dollars that are going. You referenced earlier at the Helena Products Group, some of the products that they're bringing forward to really boost these yields and, and enhance the opportunity to, you know, maybe move that average from 65 to 75 bushels, whatever it may be. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to you know, really expand that yield potential in soybeans um, that have kind of been ignored, you know, for the last 30, 40 years, unlike corn. Yeah, it, it's, uh, there are going to be some, some difficult decisions to be made uh, and product availability, uh, you know, it, at the top of the list. I think that uh, everybody coming off last year uh, is, got enough cash and understands where the profit margins are that they don't have a problem putting in that money. But uh, if, if they have to make a decision on, you know, on, on those flexible acres, I've got to think beans and we know the wheat acres have already increased in, in the Dakotas and in the Northern and Southern Plains. So that battle's already lost because that's uh, unless they uh, spray, uh, incredibly uh, high-priced Roundup on everything that when it comes out of dormancy to plant corn or beans, that uh, you're really in an issue that, that there's a finite amount of acres between corn and beans, probably 183, 180 to 185. That logistically, uh, and everybody I've talked to, whether it's the big companies like potash or BASF or CF or certainly at Helena, that logistically that's, you can't do more than 93 million acres of corn uh, it just because it, it, because the compression of uh, when everybody wants to get it in the ground. Lots of crazy things happening in, in that particular space. And, you know, there's a lot of th crazy things going around the globe right now, Jody. Uh, I mean, you can't turn on the TV or, or listen to the radio. Uh, global, just the global compound of, you know, 
turmoil. Uh, hot topic today right now is is the Ukraine. What's going to happen uh, in the Ukraine between them and Russia? Um, and and I know a lot of folks have been hearing this, and there's been you know rumors about uh, oh they're going to invade and this sort of thing. And uh, there's a lot of uh, chatter back and forth on that. But I think for most growers, uh, it's really important to step back and say, well, what what's so important about Ukraine? And I pulled some stats together, and this. Quite honestly, Jody, this blew me away uh, when I started really diving into this. But in, as far as agriculture is concerned, the Ukraine is uh, number one in Europe in terms of arable land area, uh, meaning they got the most arable ground in the entire continent of Europe. Uh, third, they place third in areas of black soil in the world. They have 25% of the world's volume of what we'd call black arable soil. Uh, they place number uh, one in the world for sunflower and sunflower oil. And, and this, this was the one that really caught me, Jody. Uh, they're number three. They're the third largest producer and the fourth largest producer in the world of corn. Uh, that caught me off guard a little bit. Uh, you know, what 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 are the markets looking at when they're hearing all this Ukraine chatter? I mean, it, it's got to be changing day to day. But what's your take? Well, the the whole thing it, and this goes down to comes down to we are uh, getting, and I'm not going to make any comments about this administration against previous administration or anything else because this is not a political debate. But we are uh, getting. Uh, our tensions with both China, our major buyer, and Russia, uh, a major support or a major uh, grower in the world and their actions in the Ukraine, are creating a tension in the markets that, on top of all the other problems, the South American drought, the logistics issue with all the fertilizer, you get to a point where if uh, Russia invades the Ukraine, it's not necessarily just the issue of, well, because I get this, I've had this conversation with many farmers and I completely understand the question. They go, well, why would the southern shipping where there, there are no real issues, you know, that Russia doesn't appear to be want, wanting to roll in on the Black Sea. Russia's Navy is, is positioned in the Black Sea that they could very much curtail shipping. And then let's think about you as uh, a major world uh, shipping organization, why in the world would you sh send ships into harm's way simply to go get some corn from the Ukraine or some wheat from the Ukraine that you can source from other places? You're talking about billions of dollars worth of risk that they simply don't want. So you don't have to blow up the port or have an invasion that just shuts down. The shipping will naturally ship shut itself down because the risk of going in and out of that port are going to be substantial and their and the shipping industry right now their profit margins are so huge it's just not going to be something they want to deal with and if that happens uh and you have i mean just for a couple weeks worth of shutdown where we've got to source uh corn and uh wheat bushels uh from other places the u.s is it right now because uh, Argentina's early corn crop is going to be coming out soon, but it's going to be coming out of that 1.5 billion bushel U.S. carryover while Russia and the Ukraine, uh, you know, go through their conflict. So it, there's an amazing domino effect uh, 
that if Russia invades the Ukraine, that we become uh, that we become the world source for corn and uh, Australia and uh, other places in South America will fill in on the wheat side, but they're going to be coming to us for corn. And that's why you see, uh, you know, March old crop corn right now uh, making uh, or threatening new contract highs nearly every day. You've got to, uh, you know, back up uh, to uh, 656 today. And it's entirely about this conflict and South American weather and can't do anything about uh, South American weather. Mother Nature is going to win that battle. But if uh, every all the end users in China being the biggest one are already in the process of uh, switching cargoes that they have purchased from Brazil or Argentina to the U.S. to make sure that they don't have a disruption of food supplies that comes over. So it's just it's an it's an enormous issue that seems like to a lot of people. Well, you know, what difference does it make? You know, 50 years ago, the Ukraine was part of Russia. Why is you know, it, it, it's just it, it, it it's got a ripple effect in the world grain markets that, uh, you know, back to beans when we were talking earlier that all time highs, you certainly could uh, bring that into play with a lengthy disruption out of the Ukraine shipping uh, for corn back to the, you know, the seven, eight dollar range and at six fifty, it's not hard to envision that. And although wheat's record high was thirteen dollars, give or take about uh, I think it's two thousand eight, you're still in a position that wheat could go substantially higher. So wow. uh, it it needs to be it needs to be solved if you want less volatility and some sort of stability in the pricing, because if not, you're going to, we could the entire year of 2022, we could have the type of volatility that we've seen uh, over the last three months. You know, and, and, and thinking about volatility, uh, I mean, uh, great points on, on, on the global scale, uh, geopolitics and so forth, but uh, hey, talk to me about inflation. Uh, this is this is crazy. Some of the reports coming out. I mean, uh, everybody's impacted, not just growers, but uh, you know, consumers across. If you're in New York City, if you're in in Kansas City, it doesn't matter. Uh, you're buying a gallon of gas. You're impacted by inflation. Uh, what's your outlook as we take a look at inflation for 22? Well, you hit the gallon of gas thing, and you got crude trading over ninety dollars a barrel today, and. The just the energy side of it, and this goes straight back to Russia. Russia is an enormous producer of oil and natural gas and the major supplier to all of Europe. And certainly Putin uh, is in uh, controlling his own price at this point that he goes, hey, I'm making more money every time crude rallies a buck and a half because they're worried about me shutting down the pipeline or mm -hmm. something happening that disrupts the flow into Europe. Uh, and I've seen, uh, it, and back to the inflation thing, just trying to keep the everybody's uh, you know food on the table and lights on during COVID with all the stimulus money that was printed across the world. You have an enormous amount of extra money 
that if you look at it, you look at anything just and calling real estate a raw material because it's a thing. It's not a, a stock, you know, a house or land is a thing. That money is chasing returns, investment dollars are chasing these returns that are making a finite amount of product be whether it's corn, whether it's nitrogen, whether it's cars because the chip shortage, whether it's all farmers have seen the price of land skyrocket as the investment firms have come in. And if the price of land goes up and and productivity on that ground goes up, you know, your rent's going up. So the inflation part of this uh, is, uh, it's just going to be difficult to extricate the agriculture side from because even if we are fortunate enough to produce, there are no additional weather problems in South America and the U.S. plants fence row to fence row and gets big yields, you're still in a position that with the inflation, the amount of money chasing all of these assets and returns, because the you know, stock market is, is well off the highs uh, and th- that money is going to be chasing something. And that's the, the, the core. That's the core definition of inflation. And we are, uh, boy, I just don't see how uh, this. I, I don't see how it ends quietly. Yeah, something certainly we need to keep an eye on. So, Jody, you know, as we take as growers look at 2022, you know, share with us three key points that you need. You believe that producers really need to consider as they're getting ready to crank up their planters and put some diesel in the air for this uh, the, this spring planting season? Well, we'll start out with if you can write a check today, <coughs> excuse me, and make sure that you're going to have all the input product that you is necessary to plant, fertilize, and raise your crop the way you want it then you have to put your arms around it right now because the supply ch- the supply chain issues, if you are waiting for a crack in the nitrogen markets or in the urea markets or something like that, you may find yourself without a chair to sit down on when it comes time to plant. So uh, get, uh, get your product, get your rotation, know exactly what you're doing. Your best hedge against a potential a squeeze as we get later in the in the season or closer to planting, excuse me, closer to planting season, is that we uh, hold on to uh, your old crop corn and your old crop beans if you have any left because they're the perfect hedge against a smaller U.S. crop this year. Uh, your old crop is going to go up uh, much faster than new crop and work as a great inflation hedge against the rising input prices. So uh, product availability, you have to deal with first and foremost. The second thing, and uh, I'm preaching this, although we're at very profitable margins right now, uh, a lot of the, a lot of farmers look at where prices are and go, gosh, $14 beans and, you know, uh, 580 new crop corn. uh, I'm making a killing. Until you know that you have all your product, that five eighty and that fourteen dollars are potentially very, very misleading because you've got to know how it, that uh, they're up here for a reason. Yes, we've got some world supply issues, but they also up here to motivate you to make sure you plant every acre 
And the only way you want to plant those acres is to have all those costs underneath it. Because like we said, the acre of corn costing eleven hundred dollars when last year it was probably the average was somewhere in the eight fifty range. Uh, and you know, you were making money at $4 corn then, but you may, you may, or making money at $5 corn, you may not be, you're not making as much money at, uh, five eighty six dollars corn as you were. So that's a, a big, uh, it's a big issue to keep in mind that, uh, you've just got to deal with the inflation and know where these costs are now uh, directly with that. Beans, because they're lower imp- input costs uh, and high profitability, I, as soon as you have all of your bean supplies available, begin to hedge some beans. Because if we get a 3 million acre shift and you plant 92 million acres of corn and, or excuse me, 92 million acres of beans and 90 million acres of corn, the price of beans will plateau at least and potentially go down. So, once you know, once you get your arms around your product, once you're comfortable, you have enough to get through the season. Begin to make those hedges, and you can easily control the upside in a couple different ways uh, through uh, through some uh, low price call options, which I, all I call is price insurance from a different carrier. That you don't want to be in a position. Because we've been through this before. People thought the rallies in 2012 would never end. And they came to an abrupt and angry end in 2013 that you don't want to be growing $1,100 an acre corn. And then the next thing you know, you end up selling $5 corn when you had plenty of opportunity at 575 above. Because this uh, could be the margins are going to be so tight and there's going to be so much on the table. Uh, if thing if if you plant if you plant six dollar corn and end up selling it for five, there you will get yourself in a pickle very quickly. So sell as you get product, so that you know where your crop's going to be, because uh, there are plenty of e- plenty of easy, affordable ways to uh, protect your upside. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, if beans do go to twenty bucks and corn does go to eight, so uh, it, just so many things there. Uh, and back to diesel. Uh, if if this keeps happening, uh, any breaks that you get when your job, uh, when your supplier calls and goes, "Hey, I can give you on farm." Uh, you know, look at the price of diesel. Don't look at look at the futures price. Don't look at the price when you drive by the gas station, and talk to your supplier because that from here. Diesel could go significantly higher. It could go 40, 50 cents higher very easily with an extended Russian Ukraine issue. And the downside from here is fairly limited. Uh, I, I would rather buy it and uh, have it go down 15 cents than not buy it and it go up 40. Well, that's some certainly some great advice. And, you know, those are three key things that I think growers really need, do need to consider, you know, as they look into the 22 planting season. A lot of volatility, but, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of opportunity out there, too, uh, to really capture some of this upswing. Talking about uh, upside and protecting it, and this is something that the market really didn't allow you to do in 2012, the last time that we had multiple years of higher prices. You've got December 23 corn at 560 futures right now, November 23 beans at 1308. Any other year, 
those are great prices. Mm -hmm. And that's where some real opportunity may be because don't it, it, the scars should be fresh enough for what's happened over the last 10 years that you can't go, gosh, what happens if input costs you know, double again in some situations? You've got to take the long play here and look at the fact that you can get uh, on the board for your 23 crop uh, and with the very high likelihood there'll be some moderation or a drop in the input cost. Uh, you can you can secure some really, really good starting points for your 23 crop right now. And even if your elevator won't take it, there are plenty of ways to do it on the board with the help of your bank and a credit line that uh, your bank should easily understand why it's a great idea. Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point. You know, ultimately, it's about having a strong relationship uh, with with your suppliers. You know, hopefully, you're Helena representative, but also, you know, your banker as well as folks like yourselves, your 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 trading advisors, uh, surrounding yourself around a good team. Uh, between 22 and 23 are going to be really, really important uh, as we take a look at these uh, these these upswing in markets. Well, uh, Jody, I want to thank you for joining us today on the FieldLink uh, podcast series, uh, our inaugural uh, launch here at FieldLink. Um, folks, if you're going to be attending the Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year, uh, be sure to swing by the Helena booth and uh, Jody's going to be there. You'll have a session uh, with us uh, during that show. Uh, stop in, meet Jody uh, live in person. Uh, he'll share some more additional insight with you. And uh, Jody, we want to thank you uh, for uh, joining us today. Uh, again, Jody Lawrence, Strategic Trading Advisors. Jody, if uh, folks want to learn more about your organization or get the daily newsletter, uh, where can they go to reach you? Well, for the newsletter, the easiest thing to do is to talk to your Helena representative because they'll be able to get that to me immediately. Uh, and uh, then uh, in the newsletter, all of our contact information is there. So the easiest way is to reach out to Helena. We'll get you added to the list and you'll start receiving the newsletter. And the best thing about the newsletter for all the Helena customers, it's uh, free to you. It's thank you for your past business and this year's business and next year's business, because we know where this is uh, when where the markets are and just the anxiety associated with them that uh, the, the best way to deal with any situation is education. And that's really what 90% of that newsletter is about. Thank you, Jody, for joining us today and to you, our listeners, for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks to bring you more expert ag knowledge in our next episode. Make sure you follow the FieldLink podcast on your favorite podcast platform and follow Helena on social media so you'll never miss an episode as we will link you to the industry's top experts.